You're now tuned in to the cold, hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea piping hot so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via whatsapp at 324-1612 email tips at caymanmarlroad.com now here's your host sandy hill broadcasting live from the beautiful cayman islands Good morning, good morning, everyone. Happy, is it really Thursday? Are you guys kidding me? It cannot be Thursday again, I swear. Just yesterday, I was saying happy Friday part one, which is Thursday. Is it really Thursday again? I'm so shocked. I am legit shocked at this. Wow, the time just goes by so quickly. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. But here we are. It is indeed Friday part one. It's Thursday and the weekend is almost here. And as usual, we got a lot to talk about. What a crazy things happen for such a small little island. Mm, I always think about this. I'm like, Cayman is so small. 
Yet there's always something super interesting going on here. How are you guys? I hope that you're all well. I'm just getting a couple things in the background done here and then we can turn the camera on because I know y'all love to see what's going on. So what are some of the things that we're gonna be discussing and talking about here today? Well, um, we're gonna talk about Caribbean news a little bit. Normally Wednesdays is Caribbean Connection Wednesdays, but yesterday, you know, we just had to clear up a few things in terms of our CMR policy. And I received a lot of feedback on that where people were saying to me, thank you so much for explaining to us how it works, because I think a lot of people just arbitrarily think that they can message and say something and, you know, we're all jumping down people's throats and really and truly, in the vast majority of the cases, that doesn't happen at all. Now, sometimes, as they say in law, uh, the, the thing speaks for itself. So sometimes you don't need very much of an explanation in terms of what is going on. So I can think of a couple cases like when people are printing stuff online, for example, and it's in black and white, um, there's not much of an argument there with what is really happening. There could be a potential argument remotive. So do you guys remember when we posted this staycation uh, rental out in North Side somewhere? Rum Point or Kaibo or wherever the heck it was. And uh, the rental company was saying that they don't want no locals. They didn't say Caymanian specifically, but they said no locals, which was weird because this was during the lockdown. Everybody else is like, hmm, if you don't want um, people here, like who, wh what would be your target market really? <laughs> and this was even before... As, as I recall, this was even before we were doing the whole COVID. Oh, definitely it was before you could um, do your quarantine as, at a residence of your choice and have that approved. So it was a very unusual ad. So ads like that, you know, stuff like that, you kind of, uh, what am I going to contact them for? Because what, ex what exactly are they going to say that could provide me an explanation? Well, you guys will remember that the lady who owns that business did call and she had a profanity laced um, session with me. And um, thankfully for her, or not so thankfully for her, depending on how you look at it, I didn't respond in kind because, you know, my daughter was in the car. So I, I hung up the conversation and I called her, I sent her a message and I said, listen, you know, my daughter's in the car and, and you don't get to have a conversation with me where you are acting the fool um, and using such profanity um, with my daughter in the car, like anywhere near. And she said, well, she went and put her kids outside. And I said, well, that's great for you. Wonderful that you could do that. I didn't get a choice when you called and just went off. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you how incredibly fortunate you are um, that that was the was the case because it would have been the response would have been quite different. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. She clearly don't know how lucky she was that day. Um. So anywho, we're gonna talk about um, mandating vaccines and how that works.
and sort of, you know, what has been going on in relation to that. So we'll do a Caribbean news recap, mandating vaccines, people abusing government programs. Yes, my fellow Caymanians and everybody else listening. My Filipino crew I know is out there listening. We got the Yardies tuned in. Bless up. Um, We need to talk about this because y'all know who you are, you little shady boots, taking government money and don't really need it. Mm, what a thing. So we're going to have a little discussion on that point. And then we want to talk about the FIFA situation. Uh, there was an actual game last night or young men lost. I think the final score was three to one. Not too bad, honestly. I mean, you know, it could have been far worse. Like when the Canadians beat us. Uh, what was that score? 10 to nil or something. They were just whooping our butt all over the play field. That was embarrassing. But obviously they are a very good team. So taking nothing away from them. They seem to know their stuff, you know? So, yes, we need to get it together a little bit. But um, I always think that those types of ass whoopings are actually a very good experience for everyone involved. Good morning, Jackie. Thank you for tuning in. We have Marshall, who is here. Olivia. Philip got it locked in. Good morning. Good morning. Felicia, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Alice is here. She says, good morning, peeps, plus all the world. Yes, we got people all over listening. Irvlyn, Miss Sunshine is here listening to us. Uh, Judy wants to do a birthday shout out. Her beautiful baby girl, a happy 24th birthday. Casey Dilbert. Oh, yes, 24. Wow. Life is just getting started for you, young lady. Oh, I remember being 24. Oh, it was so nice. <laughs> you know, I'm the type of person who is never, um, I, sometimes I can't even remember how old I am. Does this happen to anybody else or is this just me? A lot of times I can't even remember how old I am. Like I have to legit think about it. I'd be like, hmm, I was born in 1970. And then I like have to do the math. For years, I couldn't remember. Um, my actual age, I'm like, okay, I know I'm in my thirties. Now I know I'm in my forties, but what's my exact age. So I would, um, have to count to remember my exact age. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, I'm not a person that really, um, I think every year is just an opportunity for you to hopefully get better than the last year. Um, or at least make some new mistakes that become, um, lessons for you that you can learn from. And um, yeah, twenty, my 20s. Mm. Yeah, those were, uh, 20s were great, 30s were great. I mean, I think, I think every, every new decade is wonderful. Every new age is fantastic. Listen, we are just happy to be alive and kicking. Good morning to Anne-Marie. Um, Alice says, do hope all is well with you. This is to Marshall and the weather is wonderful on your side. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Sophia is here. Jaren, good morning. Good morning, Jaren. How are you? 
Louisa, time is flying by so quickly. It sure is. I mean, like I said, today is another Thursday again. And we were just, I swear, celebrating Christmas the other day. And here we are now in the month of June, halfway through the year. Whoa. Miss Romelia has it locked in. She says, have a blessed and virtuous day in the Lord. Jazara is here. Indira is here. Marshall says it's been raining in North Carolina. What is what is North Carolina? Um, you're the state of what? You know how Florida is the sunshine state? New York is Apple. What is North Carolina? I don't even know much about North Carolina. But what is what is your like um state symbol or whatever? Louis from Detroit, good morning. Um, Louis, I had a business meeting this week with someone who grew up in not Detroit, but Michigan, like Ann Harbor and other parts of Michigan. And um, yeah, they were from Detroit and then they moved to Florida. And they were like, not Detroit, Michigan. But they were like, oh, Detroit is a very interesting area of Michigan. When you hear people say that, you're like, mm, you know, that means some crazy stuff going on in Detroit. Miss Corrine hailing us up from West Bay. Miss Corrine gave me a lovely mango tree, local mango. Thank you so much. Uh, a few weeks back, and I'm so tickled pink for my husband to finally put that in the ground. And I don't know how long it's going to take for my little mango tree to grow up and bear me some mangoes, but I'm hoping maybe five years. I don't know, but I'm hoping I can get some good mangoes in short order. Uh, Richie, good morning. And can I tell you guys, um, my husband has been very, very busy with his gardening projects. In fact, his home garden has expanded. One morning, I think we need to just go out in the garden. Like literally, we're going to do the show from the garden. We're going to get out from indoors and we're going to go to the garden and we're going to do the show from there because you guys need to see. He has so many garden beds, tomatoes, cucumbers, um, chive, thyme. It's just like crazy. Lettuce. Now, the lettuce wasn't really edible this go around. I think he has to work on it. But there's a young man who has his own indoor farming situation going on. One of these days, we got to have him on the program for our everybody's business segment. So remember, if you have a small business, a middle-sized business, even a big business, and you want more people to know about it, you know the spot to go is right here on CMR, and we have a lot of different um, options for you. So this young man has a business called Primitive Greens, and um, it's very, very interesting. So we're gonna, I think we're going to have him on the show soon. He actually dropped off some nice lettuce for me. That's why I was thinking about him when I mentioned uh, the lettuce. So um, he dropped off a couple different types of, of uh, greens to me, <clears throat> including kale. And you know, you can just mix your salads and stuff together. So wonderful. Larry, good morning. Romelia says, question, who are considered locals? Well, I guess it depends on who you're asking and who's uh, using that term, but I do believe in that sense, they were saying anyone who's a resident on the island. I think the term they use might've been residents or something like that. 
So we still don't know who they were accepting reservations from because nobody else was allowed on island anyway. So it was a bit strange. Anywho, not everything is uh, something that I can explain. Good morning, Larry. Catherine is here. Sue is here. Mr. Hero Blair, good morning. Um, Mr. Hero Blair, do you have two accounts or is there two of you? Because I notice that sometimes there's a slightly different name and YouTube account that logs on. So I don't know if it's two of you, like father and son, or if you've got two accounts with like slightly different names. But good morning, nonetheless. Vernita, Miss Morna, Shelly, hello, Raymond. How are you? Miss Anne is still in quarantine and behaving herself. Good morning. She said she'd been getting so much quarantine food that she doesn't even know what to do. She's been eating a lot of good food. Welcome home. Louie says lots of rain in Detroit as well. That's how farmers get a day off. God ordered it. Yes. Hunter, Andrea, good morning. Yes, Andrea. I mean, the impression that people got um, is that when they said residents or whatever exact term they were talking about, they were actually talking about locals. Now, to be fair to some of these renters um, in the outer districts, you know, <laughs> some Caymanians make it really bad on all of us. So they will go to these properties and leave them a mess and whatever. And, and then everybody thinks, oh, you know, all Caymanians are like that. All Caymanians are messy and they come and destroy your property and whatever. But what's amazing is that since the lockdown, these same businesses, as I mentioned yesterday, who were not keen on having Caymanians patronize their businesses, not at all, all of a sudden are um, marketing towards locals, residents, and um, enjoying you coming and spending your money and using their facilities. It has been a complete 180, I would say. Um, and it turns out that your money pays the bills just as good as the tourist dollar. Hmm. You go figure. Um, Louis says he's holding it down. Larry says in New York, it's thunderstorms today and the high is 75. Um, compost tea for food for the plants are gone. Oh. He's been doing a lot of, you know, he comes from a little bit of a green thumb family. They are farmers. They have a farm in Jamaica, but they raise like um, small animals. Um, like, uh, what do we call them? Goats. What do we call them? Goats and that sort of thing. Not like huge production, but they have a lot of, they have a lot of animals and lots of birds and all sorts of stuff. So he has one brother that is like the bird man. Oh my God. He has so many birds. Um, pigeons and all sorts of stuff. And he actually sells them to people and uh, he raises birds. And then they do a lot of, um, they had honey on the farms. So they actually had a bee production. And his father was part of the honey, what was it called? The honey organization, whatever, some honey society or something in Jamaica. And so we would get fresh honey from the farm all the time. 
So um, it's so funny because every time my daughter used to speak with him, obviously he's passed away, but when she would speak to him on uh, you know, Skype or WhatsApp or whatever, she'd be like, he'd be talking about honey and she would like call him kind of like the honey man. <laughs> Grandpa was associated with honey. Like, oh, he's going to just get me some honey all the time. Grandpa's going to send honey for me. Um, he was such a really nice man. Uh, so yes, folks, um, he has a green thumb for sure. And he's been trying his hand at a lot of different things. And he's been learning too, because, you know, there's so many new Fandango, as you say, um, Louis, with this compost tea, there's lots of new Fandango things that you can do with gardening, um, making the process as organic as possible, because the whole point, I think, of growing your own stuff, you can go to the grocery store and get tomatoes and whatever. But the first thing I think is um, having the option of not using any chemicals, which is really, really important for your health. And also um, to save a little bit of money, but organic is definitely the way to go as much as possible. So Ms. Mary shares with us, she grew up in Jackson, Michigan, and it's a beautiful state. The further north you go, the less populated, and it's called a water wonderland, and I still love it so. Hmm. Miss Darlene um, says that now that you brought up farming, could you please shed some light on the backyard farming stipend that government has offered? Ooh, honey child. Shall we get to that when we talk about um, people taking advantage of government? Because it kind of, we'll be talking about what government has done during the pandemic, some of those programs that people are taking advantage of. So perhaps that's a good time to um, discuss that. I didn't even check in with any of my Caribbean folks, I'll be honest with you, about the discussion this morning. Um, I do know that uh, one person is traveling. Um, so big shout out to the Caribbean Connection crew. We have Dervin, who has joined us on the show before. Jacqueline is with the Miami Herald. Renee is our regional correspondent. Thomas, that's uh, MP Chris Thomas, uh, Mr. Famous. That's actually his name. And um, Zara, who has her own publication and she works from Jamaica as well. So, um, you know, it's been so interesting, this journey of what I've been doing for the past almost four years now in this particular space getting to meet a lot of different professionals in, in this area. And they, they all run the gamut. Like, you know, Jackie works for obviously the Miami Herald, which is a huge organization. And um, Zara, for example, has her own kind of one woman show. And she is always calling, asking for advice on how to do things. Imagine people asking me for advice <laughs> on media, no less. But she's like, you know, you have done great things with your publication. And I want to learn and know more about how you've done certain things. And I'm always happy to share knowledge with people because I think, what's the point of knowing something? Having knowledge and keeping it to yourself is, to me, one of the most ridiculous things in the world. You might as well not even have it, to be quite frank. So 
I do think that, um, you know, I, I try to share with her as much as possible. She has a slightly different format in terms of what exactly she does content-wise. So Mr. Hero explains to us that he has two accounts. I was wondering. Um, yes, and he has an iPad and then a cell phone with separate accounts. And he's watching us from Orlando today, Orlando, Florida. Nice. Very good. So um, I feel like this week people took a little bit of time off, some people in the States, because it was Memorial Day and Monday. And some people are still traveling and doing different things. Um, mm -hmm. You are most welcome, Miss Darlene. <clears throat> Celine is here. Um, Blair says, I think I missed the deadline for the funds. For the one for farming, yeah, that's done. Most, most deadlines have passed now. Um, so Louis says, Jackson is 35 miles from where I live and Harbor is closer. Mm. I have no clue about Detroit, to be honest. I've never even driven to the Detroit. So someone wants to know, did the Paradise Building get torn down? What a shame after surviving every storm and hurricane. WTF CPA. Um, the Paradise Building on the waterfront? Hmm. I don't know. I have not uh, seen or heard anything, to be honest. So um, that would be news to me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It would be interesting, but maybe they have plans of doing something else. I don't really know. Hmm. We'll see what we can find out, my dear. <clears throat> that one is a bit of a ticklish one for me. So let's talk about some Caribbean news. There's been a couple interesting stories uh, this past, I guess, um, week, last couple days. First, there was a very disturbing story coming out of Jamaica about a young lady, I believe she was 14, 15 years old, who had gone to the hospital. Good morning, Tracy. And it was revealed that um, a nurse's assistant was being um, investigated for having sexually molested or raped or assaulted this young girl. I, I cannot think of something more horrific happening to someone who is in the hospital. You think you go to the hospital because it's a safe space, you know? And unfortunately, there are places in the world, um, which includes Cayman, we're no exception, where any, any location can be a place that um, perpetrators lurk. And they are watching and waiting to take advantage of people. And this is very, very unfortunate. Um, I was so shocked at hearing this news because the worst part of the situation is the young lady was in the hospital after having tried to commit suicide because somebody else had sexually assaulted her, a family member. And then you go to the hospital and then this is what happens. 
What on earth? So they launched the investigation. The premier of uh, the prime minister of Jamaica was very, I think, probably shocked at the allegation. <sighs> and he said that, you know, an immediate investigation would be launched. And Lord, they um, have since arrested and charged that male nurse. So that was the 24th. So this poor young lady, 15 years old, was in a hospital in Hanover, Jamaica. And this male assistant sexually assaulted her shortly before um, midnight on the following Friday. But I'm glad to see that they've moved quickly in the situation. They had him in immediate police custody and they have since, um, I guess, gotten further enough in their investigation to not only arrest him, but to actually charge him as well. So the health minister, Dr. Christopher Tufton, said that he had ordered a probe into the report and that he was also very, um, he found the allegations to be very distressing. And he would be meeting with, you know, um, her parents and so forth. So her mother had actually removed her from the facility. And they said without the consent of doctors sharing her concerns. But what else would you want a mother to do? I do not know. And this is where institutions are slack beyond. I don't know how it's possible for any institution to think that I mean, they try. I guess they try to hire nurses they think they can trust, but take my word for it, you can't trust anybody. But for sure, there are certain patients that are highly vulnerable, including female patients, underage patients, but all patients, in my opinion, are very vulnerable. And I think that there are necessary procedural precautions that have to be implemented regardless of where your patient is in your facility. So you can't leave patients unattended with a male physician, with a male nursing aide, or anything of the sort. There should be cameras in every room. Um, I mean, obviously you have some degree of, of patient privacy, so maybe not necessarily in the bathroom, but, you know, to protect your patients, you've got to have cameras all over the place, CCTV, and a nurse assistant should not be having the opportunity to assault a female patient because he should not be alone with a female patient ever. But you know how it is. Hospitals get busy and they have schedules that they were supposed to follow and who knows what the exact reasoning was. Was he following procedure or did he break with procedure or the other nurses got busy and he went to check on the patient or, you know, he's just strolling down the hall and it wasn't intended for him to attend to that patient or to check on her, but he just slipped into her room and sexually assaulted her. There's so many variations of what could have transpired, right? And we just don't have sufficient detail 
to tell you exactly um, what transpired. But what I do know is that what we have now is that her grand uncle yesterday was arrested for the first sexual assault. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So her grand uncle sexually assaulted her. And so now he has been arrested for that as well. Hi, yay. I mean, honestly, um, I don't, I don't even know what to say. You know, you think that you can trust family and I tell people all the time, trust no one. You know, I hear people say, oh, but I know that I can trust this person. Hmm? Don't trust anybody. Just, just believe me. You will be better off and you will thank me at some point later on. What, what a horrible world to live in. Absolutely. Where you feel like you can trust no one. You know, when you've grown up with people and you develop a uh, siblings, your parents, you're like, yes, I can trust these people. Do you think anyone who was ever molested by someone came back and said, oh, yeah, well, I knew that person was capable of this? No, no one ever does that. No one has ever said, oh, my uncle is capable of molesting my daughter. It just is like, what? Everybody's always shocked. So I think that that should tell you, that alone should tell you um, that your trust factor of people has to be very limited no matter how well you think you know them. Did you guys hear about this other case? I think this was Jamaica as well. I stand to be corrected. Where a man was arrested for impregnating his own child. All right, let me see if I can get this one straight because this one was really, really crazy. But let me see if I can get the facts now. This one was just unbelievable. So good news, just 16 hours ago, this man, Damien Bigby, this is the nursing assistant one, accused of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old patient at the Noel Holmes Hospital in Hanover, was denied bail, this was yesterday, in the Hanover Parish Court. The 45-year-old man is charged with indecent assault and is set to return to court on June the 29th. Thank God he was denied bail. Um, seeing uh, one of the questions here from one of the men in the Jamaican news um, says he went to St. Catherine 
high school, he says, real question, how will this be proven to have taken place? And did he plead guilty? I'm like, you guys do know that there's something called a rape kit. Someone can actually do a physical exam of someone and see if they have been sexually assaulted. You know, when people ask questions like that, again, that is a form of, um, you know, that is a form of, in my opinion, victim blaming and shaming and automatically you're trying to give the uh, alleged perpetrator, because yes, they are alleged until they are proven otherwise, but you're trying to give that person some sort of a, a pass. Listen, they're not yet, he hasn't been found guilty. He will have an opportunity to put forward his position in court. But I certainly hope that they have enough evidence to prove the allegations against him. Right? The arrest was made very, very swiftly. So we'll see. But the, the first thought that comes to a person's mind is, well, how can they prove this? No nursing assistant should be having sex with any patients. Do you know that assaulting um, your elderly patients are very, very vulnerable all over the world, including the U.S.? And a number of years ago, I was reading a very disturbing report about how many patients in nursing homes, elderly patients, are brutally um, sexually assaulted on an ongoing basis. And they think nobody's going to check on these patients there was one person, one lady, who became impregnated because of this. Um, she had been in a nursing home after an accident. I don't know if you guys remember this horrific story out of the U.S. And um, she, you know, doesn't have any control over her body or she's just like kind of in semi-comatose state and she needs to be taken care of. And apparently this uh, nurse or nurse's assistant had been sexually abusing her for only God knows how long. And they were saying that it's unbelievable that these nursing homes do not have proper protocols in place that allow this to happen. You know, men going and taking care of female patients and vice versa. There was even an incident with a woman having sex with an elderly male patient and someone opened the door and walked in on her sitting on top of this poor patient. And because he had um, Alzheimer's or whatever, they are not in a position to always tell that they are being um, sexually assaulted and victimized. Unbelievable that people would do this sort of thing. So again, in that case, the grand uncle has been arrested, but there's another case I'm trying to see if I can put my hands on this one, where a man is being accused of impregnating his own daughter after, now get this, she's the daughter of the stepdaughter that he did the same thing to. So his daughter is a product of him sexually molesting his stepdaughter. And then he molests the daughter as well. I'm trying to see if I can find the story and tell you guys a bit more about it. But this is crazy. 
right? You think, how does this happen? <sighs> well, it happened and um, he's now being arrested. And you know how I keep telling you guys that people um, do not, and I've said this time and time again, these people do not uh, change and every opportunity they get, they will victimize other people. So my question becomes, and I've seen this happen on more than one occasion, when you know what he did to his stepdaughter and he actually impregnated her, how is it possible that you allow this man to ever, ever be around children again, including his own stepdaughter? I mean, she now has a responsibility to her own daughter to ensure that what this man did to her isn't repeated. And trust me, if he did it to you, yes, he will do it to his own child. He would hardly care, right? And so somehow he was given the opportunity to molest again in the exact same family. And this time it just happened to have been his own daughter. I mean, I cannot make this stuff up. I'm just trying to find the actual article. But um, when I read this, I was just so flabbergasted by the whole thing. I was just like, what? How does that happen? Um, so th those are some of the news stories that unfortunately we have had to, um, come across that happened in the region. And, um, there are, and again, these things happen, you know, really all over the, the world, but they're also happening right here in our little corner of the world. Last night, we reported on a very unusual story. And maybe I'll bring it up at this point because I don't quite know what to make of it. So I read the, I read the court document and it, the allegation is, amongst other things, that the person who's who's bringing the lawsuit as a minor she was examined vaginally by a physician without the proper consent of her mother or her well she can't give consent because she's a minor and we've talked about this before but when you read the whole thing which I did um, and I must say unfortunately it looks like She's filing these documents on her own. It's not a very well-organized accusation. 
So it's not put together very well, if that makes any sense. And so it was hard to actually follow. But, you know, I did my best to follow it and to try to understand what was being alleged. Um, but looks like what happened is there have been a number of allegations regarding the fact that an examination took place and what they were, I, I think what she was really saying when I read through the whole thing and I had to mull it over a couple times is that um, the physician tricked the mother into allowing the examination to take place. And the reason why that was done is because the, I'm just trying to see if I can find this story again. It's because the, um, the physician thought or suspected that the child might have been a victim of child abuse. And so he was trying to determine or ascertain if that was the case. So he did the exam with a um, female nurse present. This, these are the allegations. And he then turned around and called the mother the following day to say, I believe your daughter is being molested by you. No, I don't know. The whole thing is very strange because I don't know how he would have come to determination just based on the physical exam of the girl. The only thing he could determine is potentially she's being molested, but to then say that he knew it was a mother was a bit strange. Like, I don't, I don't know how that conclusion can be. Um, you know, I don't know how that conclusion can happen really. So th the way in which the lawsuit was laid out is very confusing. Um, it talked about, for example, how the child had had a history of abdominal pain and she was initially told that it was um, the, the HSA couldn't find the reason for it. Then she went to another hospital and they told her it was a um, umbilical hernia. And so she was scheduled to have surgery at the HSA in the morning of the procedure. The surgery was canceled because they saw that there was no um, umbilical hernia. And so the doctor then started to look for other reasons. So he told them that he thought the reason might have been that she had a cyst and that's why he wanted to do the vaginal exam. So the lawsuit really isn't that the mother didn't give consent because she did, but she gave consent on the basis that he was saying that he thought the child may have had a cyst and therefore wanted to explore that. And he had asked the mother to leave the room. They then come back and say that it looks like what was actually happening is that he was um, doing this on the basis that he was trying to ascertain if she had been molested. 
Now, again, there's a, there's a lot of things wrong with that. Um, a physician lying to a parent is obviously not good. Does that, does that amount to then lack of consent? I don't really know because what I do know is that um, a physician has a duty to the child first and foremost. And of course, if abuse is suspected, then that's the sort of thing that needs to be reported to the authorities and should be properly investigated. Now, apparently he came back and said that her hymen was intact. And then I thought, well, that doesn't mean that abuse didn't take place. Like it, it is a very strange and baffling case when I'm reading it. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in certain instances, what was even being alleged. But just because someone's hymen's in place doesn't mean that they're not being abused. So that alone was kind of like, okay. Um, she was asked questions. It says here at point eight, if she was a virgin, if she had a boyfriend. And again, it doesn't lay out at the time how old this child was. So there's no context for, are we talking about a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a 15? Like none of that is in this document, this document, the statement of claim. And again, it looks like she's just putting it in herself, um, is wanting, for lack of a better word, for uh, a lot of detailed information. And then the information is there, sometimes seems to get a little bit confusing to follow. Um, so they say that um, at some point she was referred to another physician to try to get some help. And eventually the HSA said that they couldn't help her. And so they were sending her overseas. And the examination that they say took place that day is not part of her medical record. So she is also claiming um, and suing the HSA for um, what she alleges is improper administrative wrongdoing. So not keeping proper records. Because now they're saying that, well, it didn't take place. Um, and this forensic report of an internal vaginal examination of her hymen has disappeared. Well, if the doctor never put it on file, I mean, the HSA can't produce something that isn't on file. And so it is very, it's a very baffling case. It has me a bit confused. Um. So Irvlin says, um, Josiah says these, you know, jail is too good for these men. Irvlin says it's like the more we talk and bring awareness to these dirty men, um, it's the more they're effing around with people's kids. Well, no, they've been doing it just as much, if not more. It's just that now all of the cases are coming to light. Well, not all of them, but it's, it's still, folks, sexual abuse of children in particular is still the most un underreported type of offense. So if you think you're hearing way too much of this, that it's making you extremely uncomfortable, um, believe me, it's the most underreported offense. Can you imagine? Imagine how many are actually happening and the victims just remain silent. It's shocking. So absolutely, Louie. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So Archer, Miss Brenda, good morning, says it should be a life sentence. I absolutely agree. 
Um, you know, it's just unbelievable. Now, interestingly enough, as I was scrolling through the morning's headlines, I see a case here in the, um, I think this is the U.S., about a seven-year-old who is being accused of rape. A seven-year-old? What? And so that brings up a whole slew of other questions. What do you do with a seven-year-old that has been accused of rape? You know, the question is, I mean, you can't, on the one hand, think that you're going to lock up a seven-year-old for the rest of their life. Clearly, there's something wrong with a child who, at age seven, has committed any sort of offense of that nature. And it does make you wonder what has happened in that child's life. Because quite frankly, this is in the New York Times just four hours ago. It's just crazy. Here's what one person said. Science doesn't support prosecution of second graders. He's in the second grade. One lawyer said, Still in New York, children as young as seven can be charged with a crime. I don't understand. A seven-year-old. <sighs> right? In Brasher Falls, New York. I don't even know where that is. Population about a thousand. Not the biggest place in the world. Um, wow. So unfortunately, they don't have a whole lot of details about what this involves because it is a minor. They do keep records um, sealed. But the discussion is what do you do with young offenders? The juvenile court system. Now, if a child at the age of seven is already doing something like this, I mean, I can't help but ask two questions. The first question would be, what has happened to that child? Because if you grew up in a loving, normal environment, the chances of you engaging in assault, sexual assault, of um, anybody is, is shocking. But what does a seven-year-old even know about sex? I'm sorry. What? It just baffles me. But I mean, I have to think that something has happened to that child where they were probably being abused themselves. And oftentimes that is the case that a lot of children are products of abuse. And so abusers abuse people. That's just a given.
Abusers abuse people. And the victims, right? Once you become a victim, you are more likely to then victimize someone else. The same, it's just a vicious cycle. And so I think that maybe this child was being abused. And obviously the child needs a lot of help, needs a lot of therapy. I don't think throwing this child in jail would resolve any of his issues. And a seven-year-old has their whole entire life ahead of them. I mean, you know, you've got to get them some intense therapy and some intense help. And if it is the case that this child, after a thorough and lengthy investigation, was not abused, then I would have to say that the next logical question is, are we dealing with a sociopath? And I know in Cayman, we don't think we know a lot about that, but there are children who are born, there's a little genetic connection, something's missing, and they have seen it in very young babies. It's not, uh, it's a very unusual situation, so it doesn't necessarily happen often, but they don't respond the same way to um, witnessing people being hurt. They take pleasure in it. Um, they oftentimes as babies don't cry and don't respond in the same way. I mean, I've heard of people even adopting children and noticing this very difference from day one as a baby, that the baby didn't cry. And as they got into the toddler years, they would do things to the other siblings to purposely hurt the siblings and they showed no remorse. And so there is a thinking amongst the psychological and medical profession that there are people who are truly psychotic from like, it's a gene, like they're born with it. And despite him having been adopted into a um, environment that loved and tried to nurture him, you know, nurture versus nature question, it just, uh, it just wasn't happening. So these are things I believe that sometimes are outside the scope of our understanding. Um, I'm not saying that anybody in Kiman necessarily falls into that category, but we have had some lifetime criminals that I myself, when I hear about the stories that they have, um, you know, the stories of their childhood and what they've grown up doing and that sort of thing, their criminality, I can't help but wonder how much of this is nurture versus nature. And I think what a lot of times might happen is it's there, nature is there, and there can be something that triggers it from the nurture side. So there can be a trigger, there can be some kind of a trauma or an incident that triggers someone who has a tendency towards um, the psychotic behavior in any event. So um, MP Famous is gonna be joining us here in a second. Uh, Sue says, why did the doctor ask the mother to leave the room in the first place? That's not right. She should be with her child. It's peculiar. And then when you hear why, because he actually thought that um, the mother may have been the one abusing the child, which again, I don't know what made him come to that conclusion. But I do, um, I mean, obviously, if if you believe a child is being molested, um, you might need some time with that child outside of the influence of the parents. So I kind of understand that. 
but I don't know. This whole thing feels, it's, it's a very unusual set of circumstances. And I don't quite understand why, if he had such a suspicion, why he would then allegedly confront the mother the following day, as opposed to contacting the police. Because doctors, nurses, teachers, teachers' aides, anybody who works with children, you actually have, per the Children's Act, a reporting obligation. So you don't have a choice. If you suspect abuse, you don't get to tell the mother, oh, I think you're abusing this child and you should stop. You call the police and let the police, now the MASH unit, do a so-called proper investigation. So the whole, this whole lawsuit, it is very, very unusual. Um, it claims that this um, overseas facility requested records and they were not provided. But then it says that medical expert report from UHI, I guess that's somewhere in Florida, I don't know where this facility is. Um, they claim that um, several vaginal examinations were already carried out, but when the HSA requested local and overseas medical care for vaginal issues, there was only one report on March the 25th, 2010, which was not there, those needed. I mean, it is, it is very confusing to read because it is so poorly put together, I must tell you. It's, it's hard to understand what the allegations are exactly. Um, this person needed to get some help putting these documents together, first of all. And the HSA Medical Records Office said that there was no records of any other dates. So then that made me think, wait a minute, was there one on March 25th, 2010? Because it does say there was only one report. But what did that report say? Because then earlier it said that the police had, the HSA had no record of a report. So it is very, very confusing. Um, but the basic allegation is that he intended to deceive the mother um, when it comes to bad faith. So it says bad faith is acting with intent to deceive another person. And I guess they got this definition from somewhere. And they think that he acted in bad faith and telling the mother that it was to look for a cyst when in fact he suspected that something else was going on with the child. Then it goes on to say that the plaintiff said this doctor suspected sexual abuse since 2007, but never made any report of his suspicions. And then it was a counselor who reported him in 2013. So, uh, reported him being the doctor and reported him for what? Like, it just isn't very clear. Um, it says he kept silent from her mother, the Department of Children and Family Services, the police and other authorities. But that can't be true because earlier it said that he confronted the mother the day after the vaginal exam. So it is very... I feel like something is missing in this lawsuit and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you read it in its totality. And so I'm confused. And I think that unfortunately this conf confusion will probably mean that this lawsuit, even if it had any merit, um, isn't going to be successful unless they somehow really put this together and shape it up. 
you can't just throw together a lawsuit like this without your facts laid out very succinctly and very, very clearly. So if the allegation is, um, it says he asked the mother for permission to check her vagina for cysts and instead instructed her, uh, extract, uh, sorry, instructed for a hymen to be examined. Then he called and speak the truth the following day. Then they suspected she was being molested, that she was being molested after he was given consent and after he carried out the examination of her hymen and confirmed that both mother and daughter gave consent, which the daughter can't, minor can't give consent. Um, and he sent an email saying that they wanted to ensure that they were not missing a case of abuse um, or sexual abuse and that he lied in an affidavit denying the examination. He confirmed um, and abandoned her you see, a lot of it doesn't really make any sense without medical records causing other doctors to refuse her medical care. Now, no doctor should be refusing your medical care just because they don't have a report from another doctor. It just means that they start from scratch and you go through everything um, about what transpired. So... It, it is very, very confusing. I don't know what to make of it, to be honest. I feel like this mother has actually spoken to me about this situation before. Now, it's one thing to say that a doctor has acted um, inappropriately and administratively, hasn't you know, kept proper records and whatever. It's a whole other thing to prove a matter to the standard that is required by a court and I can tell you that what is required by a court is actually quite high, especially when you are suing medical facilities in the Cayman Islands. And it's not quite as easy as people think, but we'll keep an eye on this. Um, it says that the plaintiff claims consultation fees, retainer fee, negligence claim, missing medical records. And there was no amounts on here. It just said TBA, I guess, to be announced. And again, you don't file a writ like that, not having any idea what it is that you're actually asking for. So it, it is very, this is why they tell you that only a fool represents themselves and that's not meant to insult anyone, but you actually get a lawyer. And it did say at some point in this thing that the mother had started a lawsuit, but it looks like she abandoned it and it didn't really get it go anywhere. Um, and she, I guess had actually, uh, she had obtained an attorney looks like, um, it says Ian Mercer who wrote to the HSA and then they got, um, Morant was apparently representing the HSA. They got a response and then I guess the mother didn't proceed with the lawsuit. I don't know. So it's, it's very bizarre. And then there was some mention of the prosecution getting involved, but it says that the prosecution recently refuted the report is false. Hence the reason this claim is now filed. So that was confusing. Um, so it says the plaintiff said that the office of the department of public prosecution tasked a medical expert who provided a report that we thought was false, but you can't just think a report was false. You have to have some 
real significant reason that you're going to put in this writ of summons as to why you say that report was false. You don't get to just say, well, the DPP asked the medical expert or something and we don't believe them. That's not how it works. You got to prove really that that's a false report or, or your reasons why you say it's a false report. You don't get to just have feelings in court and in the procedure or the court um, process moves forward based on your feelings. Um, Tracy is asking about a seven-year-old says, how do they even know what sex is, let alone how to do it? Probably, like I said, being exposed to um, either themselves being abused or somehow being hypersexualized in their environment. That happens a lot to with children where they're seeing things and they don't quite fully know how to process what they're seeing. Um, Miss Ann mentioned earlier, did I see this new video that's being used in schools teaching kids as young as six about sex? Um, I haven't seen it. I don't know what specific video you're mentioning, but I don't, in theory, don't, I don't think that children shouldn't understand these things because believe it or not, as young as three and four, they're curious about their own bodies and they're playing with themselves and they're asking questions. And so if you don't have an answer for children, they're going to go out there and find an answer from somebody else, which is most likely their peers. Um, Mr. Chris Famous, good morning. Morning. I caught you having a little breakfast snack. My apologies. No problem. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Cayman Islands. Grand Cayman, Little Cayman, and Cayman Brack. I'm great. Um, tell me something. We're just having a, a general discussion about a couple stories that were making headlines um, in the Caribbean this week. There was unfortunately a, a few about sexual abuse. And then I was talking about this case here that we reported on last night about a young lady making some allegations against a local physician. And there's this case in, in New York with a seven-year-old. Um, what, what is the approach in your country as it relates to the education of um, children about sex in your government schools? Do you guys um, have a sex education program? And at what age does that start? Is it in the elementary schools, for example? Um, no, to my knowledge, I could be off, but um, to my knowledge, they don't, when we, when people reach what we call middle school level in, um, in Cayman's um, terminology, high school level, there are what health and family classes mm -hmm. that start to talk about, um, cause this is when people are, young persons are in the puberty age, right. age. So that's when they, um, that's when they start educating people or supplementary, supplement education on um, sexual reproductive organs. Um, now there is a, I guess you say a push by the um, authorities and education to educate young ladies and young men, especially about sexual harassment, mm -hmm. also about um, being being feel being feeling free to report that you have been sexually harassed or may have been sexually harassed. So so there's so there's stuff there that wasn't there when I was in high school, which was like a million years ago. Right. Um having said that, um I mean if you're talking to children about um how to protect themselves, right? 
do you not have to have the broader conversation of what they're protecting themselves from? Yes. Uh, so, you know, victims can be babies. We've seen a lot of instances um, in reports around the Caribbean of babies and toddlers being sexually molested. How can you protect children from that without having the conversation about what your parts are, what sex is, and all the other bits and pieces? Okay, I mean, it has so, to be age appropriate, obviously, but. Yeah. So, interestingly, um, I was part of a parliamentary committee that dealt with um, the protection of uh, children for um, sexual abuse, right? So mm -hmm. we, did a, we did a report about two years ago, and part of our report was based off of the programs that you have in Cayman Islands, the MASH program, where you have, um, to my knowledge, um, you have a building, for example, a facility, that if a child or young adult was um, suspected of being sexually abused, they're able to come in and speak in a, I guess you say, a very welcoming environment to actually speak through what happened and so forth. So a lot of our legislation was based off of what you all are doing in the Cayman Islands. Some mm -hmm. of our social workers have come to Cayman Islands. I think the last time was pre-COVID when you all had um, Perifta Games. Mm -hmm. Some of our social workers came down there to interact with with your social workers, um, child, um, child and we call it child and family service (CFS). So, so in the report that we did, we did studies based off of what's happening in the UK and other overseas territories. And one of the uh, important findings, as you said, is at what age do does the government per se start implementing um, degrees of education program about inappropriate touching, so on and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. This was a very um, emotive, emotive study. We have a we have a, an organization in Bermuda called SCARS. Um, I forget exactly what the acronym is for. But basically this is, is, is led by a lady who was um, Debbie Rivers, who was actually um, molested as a young lady. And she you know, it, it affected her entire life. Um, mm -hmm. But she decided that she would not let, she would not remain a victim. She she created this uh, program, which is called Stop Scars Certificate, mm -hmm. Scars Certification. So what happens, anyone that is a uh, football coach or sports coach or teachers or anyone who interacts with young people, has to have scars training, so they be they will be able to identify some of the telltale signs of a child being emotionally or sexually abused. For example, you're not supposed. Uh, one of our our uh, regulations per se is a football coach is not supposed to be alone with any any young person. There has mm -hmm. to be at least three persons in in that proximity. Else, this this not saying all football coaches are like that, but this yeah. is potential for um, sexual abuse. So these are the sort of um, social education that we are um, making making for the people of Bermuda to be aware. Um, if you see a child that's with somebody who, in a small society like Bermuda that we know, if we see a child with somebody who is known to be 
suspicious mm-hmm. for this type of thing. Um, you know, you 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 take it upon yourself to to question the child, like, hey, what are you doing with um sense? Oh, this is uncle, blah, blah, blah. And you know, these are the sort of things that you have to intervene to protect that child. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could lead to as you you know, uh, what they call jungle justice at times, but we are becoming a more sensitized society because of that. Mm-hmm. And we see incidents, we still, unfortunately, we still have had cases of sexual abuse, but the numbers have gone down drastically because of the awareness. So mm-hmm. I hope that I hope that answers the question. Yes. I mean, it's just shocking, um, the cases that have been um, in the news just over the last couple of days about sexual abuse. And one of our viewers was saying that, um, you know, is it that, that it's happening more as we continue to shed light on it? I don't think that that's the case. I think it's just that more victims are coming forward. And because of us also having the technology to be able to get information a lot quicker, um, it's also something that is more on our radar. Um, so one other story that was in the headline. So there was one about, you know, I, I don't know if you heard this one about the um, nurse's aide in Jamaica who sexually assaulted a patient there, a 15-year-old patient who would come in after attempting suicide because her granduncle, who was arrested yesterday, had um, sexually assaulted her. I mean, it's just shocking, right? So she's been victimized not once now, but at least twice by two different individuals. Um, there was another case of... Um, and I'm still trying to find the exact details on this one, but of a step daughter having a child, right? Because she was molested by the stepfather and this child was the product of that. And then he turns around and molests the child as well. Um, I'm shocked. I'm particularly shocked at that because I would have thought that the mother who knew what happened to her would have gone to great lengths to ensure that her, the stepfather had no access to her child. Although yeah, one, biologically it's his child, but still it's crazy. Yeah, one of one of the things that this this course taught us, or not say course, this study taught us over the course of a two-year period was that um there's so much multiple layers of dysfunction yes. that go that go into um that that result. In other words, if if if, if an adult, rather male or female assaults a young person. They didn't just randomly do that. There's something in their DNA, not I shouldn't say DNA, but in their in their um history that has been a pattern of this. Mm-hmm. If someone gets caught once sexually assaulting, they have did this before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is the one this is the one time that they got caught or one this is the time when the victim finally decided to speak out because most most unfortunately most sexual the abused children. Mm-hmm. It's a history of this. This isn't this isn't a one-time thing where, oh, um, Uncle So and so touched me inappropriately. No, Uncle So and so or cousin So and so or whatever has been doing this for quite some time, unfortunately. Right. And and finally you're you're able to speak out. And what we find in Bermuda is that we had a case um in Bermuda, this is public knowledge, where some some gentlemen, they were um, they were top athletes in our country. I mean, mm-hmm. like some of the top athletes, mm-hmm. and well known, very very well um, 
very well liked, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, it, and at age 40, 50, I would say one of them, came out in the public and says they were sexually abused by a well-known football coach. Wow. Right? And it, it wasn't a, and they, they admitted that it wasn't a one-time thing. This was something that mm-hmm. had been going on for years. Now, Bermuda being small, just Bermuda being smaller, geographically smaller than Cayman, every there were there were certain people who knew what was going on, but for the sake of a certain club, they kept silent. Right? It was mm-hmm. so it was sort of an open secret within that club that this coach was had a tendency to do these sort of things. Right. So the, the coach, he uh, he was probably in his late sixties by the time he he got arrested, got taken to court, and um and sent to jail. And within a, within a year of being jail in jail, he committed suicide. Or what we understand is that we, he committed suicide. Maybe it didn't happen that way. But my my point is that. It's unfortunate that young people are victimized, but when they are victimized, they carry that through all the way through to the adult, adulthood. It's not something like, a, oh, I had a bad curl when I was five years old. Exactly. And a lot of these, a lot of these persons who um, were victims when they were young, they turn around and become predators as they get older. Because exactly. This, this I was just what, saying that as well. Yes. Right. So, um, so what I, I have to actually leave now, but what I would say to the people of Cayman Islands and whoever mm-hmm. else is listening is that if you know something, say something, right? I know that sounds very simplistic, but mm-hmm. people's lives are at stake. This isn't even about sex, per se. This is about manipulation, mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you know somebody who's who's been through this, let them know it's okay to mm-hmm. to say to, to tell you the story, yes. because a lot of times what we find is that a lot of times people don't say this because they don't want they they are are afraid of how they will be viewed at in public. Because when you go court for these sorts of things, even though names aren't um, the names of the victim isn't um, isn't uh, published. Once you know the name of the predator, mm. then you pretty much know the name of the victim. And right. a lot of people are afraid to, you know, we have we have family secrets that we don't yes. we don't want to say because, oh, that's going to shame the family name. So let's just keep this quiet. And and meanwhile, that family member is going on to to uh, mm-hmm. abuse so many people within the family because nine out of ten times is a clue. It's not a random stranger that mm-hmm. assaults young mm-hmm. people. It's a family member friend or family member. So yeah. I, I I I applaud the MASH program, if mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing that correctly. In Cayman Islands, we 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 have gotten a lot of assistance from the authorities in Cayman Islands and I just implore them to continue helping the children and adults of Cayman Islands who have gone through this trauma. Thank you very much for that. And I think you have reinforced um, some of what I have been saying over the years. And I'm just curious, do you guys have a sex offender registry um, in Bermuda? Yes, that was that was part of that was part of the recommendations from our um, 
from our committee. So yes. what happens now is if someone has, if someone is incarcerated mm -hmm. for a sexual offense, mm -hmm. if they, when they are going to be released, mm -hmm. the attorney general puts out a public notice that so-and-so, so-and-so, um, who's, um, who is a, a convicted of sexual offense, mm -hmm. rather it's a child sex offense or rape as an adult, um, it doesn't matter. Once you're up for sexual offense, your name is going to be put out there that you are being released and you are going to be residing in the West Bay area. I'm just using that example, right? right. So everybody in West Bay would be alerted that this sec this person who was um, released for sexual offense, released, uh, who was incarcerated for sexual offenses, being released, and they are going to be residing in such and such area. Wow. And um, you have you've had you've had those who argued that, oh well, you know, that's violation of people's privacy. And our argument is like, no, once you once you are convicted for this, yeah, you have no more privacy. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. I didn't know that you guys had one, and you know, I've been pushing for one for probably close to twenty years. And yeah. I I, I, what I'll do is I'll, I will send you. I will send you the links for that. Um, I would appreciate it, that. Thank you so much. It's, it's important. There, there. Here's the thing, right? If someone, if someone was walking around with dynamite on them, for example. Yes. And scrap to a uh, uh, scrap a uh, uh, vest bomb, and you say, okay, they're gonna be they're gonna be at Papa's today. You think people in Papa's are gonna just sit there? Hmm. <laughs> they're gonna, you know. So I'm not saying you have to treat these persons as pariahs. What I'm simply saying mm -hmm. is, it is it is in the public interest that persons who, whether they have young children or not, know who's in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Right, because nine out of ten times these these persons, when they come out, they can't, you know, they're not readily going to be employed all the time. So they're going to find themselves walking around or just milling around. And what one the one of the unfortunate parts about sexual offenders is that this doesn't just just because you did four or five years in jail doesn't mean you don't have the same tendencies. One of the other things that we had put in place was that there was sex, there were, um, I guess you say, education classes in in prison for incarcerated persons who are incarcerated for sexual offense. And one of the um, one of the prerequisites for the release is that they take these courses. Now, does it change them? No, it doesn't. But you know, that's that's the that's the. That's the reality we're dealing with. But I'll, I'll send you a copy of the report, and um, you could disseminate it to the people mm -hmm. of Cayman Islands. Okay. All well, right. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. You take care, and thank you for this opportunity once again. Yes. Thank you so much, um, Mr. Famous. Once again, folks, an MP from Bermuda, um, one of our sister islands there, in the sense that uh, it's a Caribbean island, and he is always a wealth of information. And I think that um, what he speaks about them having a registry, it makes me question even more because they have a similar population size as we do. Why can't we do it? It's a lot of the same issues. People are related and I get that. You know, um, a couple of days ago, I ran into a lady who was sharing her experiences with me. Um, she said, you know, the other day um, you were 
talking about sexual abuse. And she said, that was, I love your shows. And I just want to tell you that that was such a hard show for me to listen to because I am a victim. And the person who victimized her was in her immediate family. And these are the things that happen. And, you know, other family members were also victimized. And, you know, these are conversations that we need to have because can you believe that some of our young people have suppressed the fact that they've even been abused? It's been so traumatic for them that they have literally suppressed it and blocked it out from their memory. But they're living half lives, half functional lives. At some point, as they say, the rooster returns um, home. And so at some point it comes back up to the surface and it could be a situation that triggers it. And all of a sudden they have, um, you know, a mental breakdown. You have people who are um, on drugs because of what they have had to endure. You have people who are suicidal because what they've had to endure, you have people who are abusers themselves because of what they have been uh, through as well. So as Brenda says, that's why I said a life sentence. You're taking life. Murder isn't the only way to do that. Public awareness, knowledge is power, and prevention is better than cure. A thousand percent agree. But we can't prevent it from happening if we're still raising children who at the age of 16 and 17, 18 and 20, we think, because that's not really their reality, that they don't know anything about sex because we've never had the conversation because we're not ready. And we don't think by extension that they are ready. And um, you know that cannot be the case. You have to normalize discussions around sex and sexual awareness and what people need to know about their body. And again, it all has to be age appropriate. And trust me, there are a lot of resources available to you as parents that you can go and learn about how to have an age appropriate discussion with a toddler. At the age of six or seven, I don't see anything necessarily with it being taught um, in schools if it's age appropriate. But also I think that if you're not having those conversations, well before that, your children will get the message um, from someone else in terms of how they want it to be um, put on the table and discussed. And I think as parents, you need to take the rein and do it from early and make it not just a one-off conversation. Make it part of your, you know, you should be having mental wellness checks with your children, talking about their feelings. Um, very, very young, are you feeling sad today? How are you feeling? Tell mommy what's going on. Um, probing things with them. If you see your child is responding differently to situations, you need to ask um, why that is. And um, I think that there are things that a lot of parents are happy to just overlook and you shouldn't be overlooking them. They might make you uncomfortable as a parent. That's entirely possible but you need to be having those conversations. So I have a young daughter. She's only four years old. She's gonna be five in August. And um, for a couple of years, she knows about her privates. And I explained certain things to her, even in terms of clothing. Like I want you to, anytime you wear a dress, to always put on um, your little tights underneath because we're trying to um, protect you know, your, your private parts from potentially being viewed by anyone. Because I said, sometimes little girls will sit down and 
they forget, you know, they're not thinking. And so they don't always cross their legs properly and they don't always do all these sorts of things. So, you know, as young ladies and little girls, um, there are things that you need to do to protect yourself. And, um, you know, even a couple of days ago, sometimes she's a very messy eater. And so my husband's like, oh, just, you know, take off her clothes. Cause you know, the babies, you make them sit in their diapers and eat because honestly, the food is going to be all over the clothes and whatever. And I said, nope, she's at the age now. We don't take off our clothes to eat anymore. We're sitting at the dining room table. We're going to have our little dinner together. And I'm not going to take off my clothes and sit at the dining room table. So neither should she. Nobody's going to be taking their clothes off. And he was just thinking of it from the perspective of, oh, she's going to mess up this nice little new shirt that she has on. And I said, mess it up. We can wash it, stick it in some bleach, whatever. We're not going to worry about that. But it's the underlying message of, no, we keep our clothes on even at home. You know, she's going to the bathroom now in her room and she's asking for the the door to be closed. No problem. Yes, mommy will gladly close the door. She's, I would like some privacy. Can you close the door, please? Sure, you can have your privacy. And so she's understanding the concept of privacy, what it means that you don't play doctor with people. You don't let people touch you in certain places. And if that happens, that's a conversation that you immediately come to mommy with, you immediately come to daddy with, and we will have a discussion about what, what's going on. And the other thing, Donette, I'm not sure you said you want to contact information for them. For who? I'm not really sure. My apologies um, who you're referring to. But um, <laughs> Catherine says, yeah, well, some older ladies don't shut their legs properly either. Well, um, maybe they should be wearing the little spandex shorts too. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, I guess we might all, um, not close our, our legs for different reasons. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, yes, this concept of, um, you know, them understanding their body and understanding that it is theirs, you know, so I don't force her to hug people or to, um, feel like she has to, um, if she doesn't want to hug somebody, then she doesn't want to hug them. And this is something that's Caribbean people we find very strange. And I, I hear a lot of Caribbean people saying to me, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I said, well, it doesn't make any sense for you to tell your child that an adult can tell you what to do with your body and you have no control over it. Because you do understand how that message when someone tries to do something that's hurtful to that child and a hug generally isn't hurtful. But when that uncle who's been hugging this child this whole time, goes one step further in the grooming process, right? This child is thinking, well, mommy always says to hug your uncle, to make him, you know, like I've been told that I'm supposed to let him do this. So now he's touching me and something doesn't feel right, but he's my uncle. He's my grandpa. You know, he's a trusted family friend who I'm always told, um, let this person hug you, let this person touch you. And so these are the messages I think that we put out there um, in the universe that, um, you know, that we really shouldn't. So, you know, have the conversations often, I would say, um, with your children. 
and um, and you know, normalize the conversation so that when something, heaven forbid, ever happens or they need to have a more private conversation with you, it's not so hard for them to even approach you because they're used to you talking about private things um, with them and it's normal and you are calm and you're collected. And so I don't, you guys know how upset I feel about this topic, generally speaking, when I'm talking about it. But when I'm speaking to a four-year-old, when I'm talking to my daughter about her privates and whatever, I ensure that I am always very calm and I explain things to her as simplistically as possible, why you do certain things, why you don't do certain things. And, you know, sometimes she'll ask questions like little girls are curious at four about their parts. They're looking at it and they're trying to figure out what this is. And they're ready. They're asking questions like, where do I pee from? Does it come from here or there? Or, you know, and you don't tell them, listen, I hear people in their 70s who say to me, right here in Cayman, that when they got married, they didn't even know what sex was. Like nobody had a conversation with them. Nobody told them anything. When as young girls, um, they had, you know, their menstrual cycle start, they didn't know what that is. And I'm like, really? How can you go marry someone and you don't even understand about sex? how to get pregnant, how not to get pregnant, like nothing. Because those conversations, and these would have been people growing up, parents never talked to them about it, siblings never talked to them about it, nobody had the conversation. And we cannot continue to live in the dark ages when it comes to these types of conversations. Our children are no longer living in the dark ages. They have access to a lot of information. And I can assure you that if they're not getting it from you, they're getting misinformation from somewhere else. So do your best to educate yourselves. So um, Dionika says, I started my conversations with good touch and bad touch for my kids are one. And I still have conversations with my daughter now. And she's now 18 years old. Yes, exactly. Um, Irvlin said just yesterday, I was talking with the mother of my, of my uh, seven and eight year old grandkids, two girls. And I think it's time for her to start having this conversation with them. Uh, she's probably a little bit late, but yes, better late than never. Um, Brenda says, privacy, please. Privacy, please. Very familiar. Um, scars. I'm sorry, Donette. I think that he was speaking. Was that um, Mr. Famous? Um, I'll see if I can get details. So Catherine says, I met one sitting. Yes. I mean, listen, sometimes old people themselves are, are not the most, you know, for whatever reason. Put on shorts underneath and nobody can see your hoo-ha. Simple. Um, so Blissful says, Miss Sandy, I remember the event in town and you had your daughter in your arms. I did observe your action when I simply touched her little arm. I saw that respectful look of please don't touch her. <laughs> she will react um, if you, um, she will react if, if she wants to. So that I saw about you from jump and I will add to mine nice knowledge. I mean, um, yes, um, she is not a child that is used to like a lot of people um, being around. And so I do try to um, 
actually socialize her more. So sometimes you will see me, sometimes I don't have a choice because daddy's working and, you know, we don't have a helper. I actually don't believe in living helpers and that sort of thing. So we have a lady that comes once a week to help with um, kind of keeping the house in order a little bit. And then we have someone who's actually just during the election been helping us with pickup from school and certain things, but I don't want anybody to give my daughter a bath. I will do that. Thank you very much. I will fix her bath for her. And, you know, there's certain things that are very, very off limits. So she's not necessarily used to a whole lot of other people because we haven't brought her up in that environment where she was like raised by a helper and all these people hanging around her house. We don't, we don't do that. We keep her circle very, very slim. Um, not too many people even walk through my front door with or without a daughter, to be honest. And so um, sometimes I do notice that she's a little apprehensive as well around people she doesn't know. Obviously, she has to grow up in a world with um, other people, right? And so, um, you know, I take her around people and I allow her to interact with people, but uh, blissful. Sometimes she's a little bit on the shy side as well. And I think she definitely shows that. But yes, you know, I'm like a mama beer. <clears throat> You do anything, my daughter, and I'll strip you to, I'll, <laughs> I will shred you to pieces. So um, maybe that was just a subconscious thing on my part even. But um, yes, I am very, very protective. And even, you know, some men will like grab her up and play with her and stuff like that. Child, you know, I'd be looking like, mm -hmm. don't be swinging my daughter too much now. Um, and, you know, the truth of the matter is, it's always the few people that make it bad for everyone because most people are good people. They're not going to do anything to your children. But the fact is you don't know who to trust. So you have to look at everybody with a little bit of a suspect, you know, raised eyebrow and keep your eyes open and be aware of what's happening. So Ms. Brenda says both parents need to have this conversation with their children, boys and girls, and they're never too young. Give them examples of things that will be said. Anyone will do it. Teach them the signs. This is so important. Absolutely. Because um, a father was saying that to me yesterday as well, how he's had the conversation with his son and said, you know, sometimes people will, th will threaten you like, oh, if you tell your mommy or your daddy, this is what's going to happen. And they said, don't, you know, always know that you can um, trust me. You can come to me. And I think that that is why it's so incredibly important for you to remain calm when you have these conversations with your children. Because sometimes children have been fearful that you're going to like kill the other person. Remember the story about Oprah, her friend, um, um, the, the lady who wrote, oh gosh, I can't, um, I know why Mockingbirds Sing, I think was the name of it, but she was sexually molested um, as well as a young girl. And um, she didn't talk for a very, very long time. Because what ended up happening is the person who raped her, I think she was like maybe seven years old when this happened, they actually went and severely beat him and I think almost killed him. And so in addition to her being traumatized by the sexual assault, she was then traumatized by people that she trusted and loved um, when she, when they found out what happened, I don't know if she actually told them or they just found because she was in such a, a horrible state. Maya Angelou, thank you so much, Magdalene, um, to kill a Mockenberg. Thank you. Um, you know, her story was that they had um, beaten him so severely that that further traumatized her to the point where 
she didn't talk for a very long time, but she found her solace um, in reading and writing and that sort of thing. And that's so horrible to think that, you know, children can oftentimes get confused, especially if it's someone that they loved and they trusted as a family friend or family member that could do something like that to them. And then our reaction is we try to kill the person, which I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad reaction because I would do that too. But I think you have to be careful what you let children know about your response and how you react. And so I know why cage birds sing, right? And so I think that, you know, even for myself, I'm very, very calm about this topic um, when I'm having it age appropriate conversation with my daughter. And I never let her feel that if she tells me something that I'm going to overreact about it. I may, but she ain't going to know about it if you knew what I mean. So yes, I would be minded to kill that person, but I would never let her know that that was the case or that that was the end result. Um, because I wouldn't want to traumatize a child even further, if that makes any sense, right? So I think that we have to be very, very careful. Natasha says all parents have the have um, that face that instantly stops anyone from just approaching their child without consent. And sorry, but people should ask before touching your child. And I think, again, we grow up in a community where people will just like hug you. Like, listen, I have random strangers all the time who do not know me and they just want to hug. And I know Irvlin, by the way, do not walk up and hug and touch Irvlin because she's not that kind of touchy person. She doesn't like people in her space like that. Um, I, I don't personally have an issue with it because I know as Caribbean people, that's how people express themselves. Italian people are going to kiss you on multiple cheeks. And, you know, I'm open to it as an adult, because if you're making me feel uncomfortable, I would express that uncomfort level. Um, however, with children now, I'm a little bit more hands-off and protective of children. And I don't think just random strangers should be, um, you know, hugging children per se. But sometimes you do see them be like, oh my gosh, they're so cute. Even myself. Oh, you feel like you want to hug them and you want to, you know, with babies, but I'm very, very cautious, even with other people's little babies and stuff like that. So I might like just touch their little toes or whatever. Um, but I try, I do try to be uh, very, very reserved, you know, with how I, I touch other people's children, because you don't always know kind of what their comfort zone is and what their rules of engagement are either. So um kind of sad that we live in this kind of a world, but you know, it is, it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, people hug me all the time. Sometimes like, oh my gosh, can I just give you a hug? And I'm like, sure. I mean, me hugging you isn't going to, the world isn't going to end. It's fine. You know, um, Irvalyn says, teach them, tell them to talk. Um, thank you guys so much. Uh, Auntie loves you beyond and back. Who are you referring to more? And I think you're speaking to someone specifically. Um, all these men heading to other countries, prying uh, on uh, young girls, 12 and 14 years old, child molesters. Tell me how a 40-year-old man married a 16-year-old and has to wait until 18 to bring her here. Isn't that a sign to us laws need to change? That's disgusting. And um, yes, there's definitely wrong with people who do that. And they do it in other countries because they can get away with it, perhaps more so than in Cayman. I mean, you can't just marry a 16-year-old in the Cayman Islands, right? Um, I hope that we've even removed that you're able to do that with parental consent. But having said that, there are a lot of parents who are consenting 
to these same 40-year-old men having relations with 15 and 16-year-old children, and they shouldn't be doing that either. And we need to stamp this out. This is a, a scourge on us as a community that some of these um, child molesters are trolling our young girls from middle school and high school, and people see it happening. They're driving by, they're picking them up in their little school uniforms and so on. And it's just utterly disgusting and needs to stop. It's unfortunate that people can go to these countries a lot of times that are impoverished countries. And um, because of that, you know, the girls, the only commodity they have is their little bodies. Isn't that sad? Um, the only way they will make it out and the only way they'll have anything to offer anyone is through sex and their little bodies. So they do start very, very young in certain cultures. And we do have Caymanian men um, and others here who take advantage of that. They will go to Jamaica, Honduras, um, Nicaragua, the DR, the Philippines, all these surrounding countries, and they're engaging in the most unbelievable behavior. So that's why some of y'all be like, oh, I like to, get a, to go to Honduras every other weekend. Mm, of course you do. Mm -hmm. It's not for the culture, for the music, to learn Spanish or anything else. You're there molesting somebody's child and you think that the good people in the Cayman Islands don't know that. And yes, then once they turn, as you say, of legal age in this country, you want to bring them here. I, I always think that that's um, a very unfortunate situation that is allowed to happen. And sadly, it is because most people um, in those countries, again, you know, are willing to turn a blind eye to that for their children because they feel like, you know, if somebody gives them a hundred bucks, that hundred bucks US is a lot of money for them for the month. And it's just unfortunate. There's, there's sex, sex trades, sex slavery, all sorts of stuff that um, is happening in these various communities that we, um, you know, in Cayman, we're, we're happy to ignore because, oh, well, that's not our country. We don't care. And um, it should be something that we, we care about. You know? Um... So you know, I feel like even us having the conversations on this show, there's a couple of times that we've had to have the conversation. We're normalizing the conversation. You know, some of you before would have the second we started talking about it, you'd log off. You're so uncomfortable with it. Uh, more people now are engaging in it. And I think that as a society, we normalize the discourse and the conversation. And then as parents, we normalize it with our children and having that discussion with them. And we continue to move in the right direction. We make demands of our legislators, such as, yes, if Bermuda of similar size and similar issues with family members all knowing each other and blah, 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 if they can have a successfully ran um, sex offenders registry, what is stopping us here in the Cayman Islands from doing it? So in other regional news, hear this, Jamaican dad being sought in the U.S. for allegedly drugging and raping girls. So did you guys see this one? This was another very, very disturbing um, case of abuse. Um, let me just see if I can show you this one. I mean, it just honestly doesn't stop. 
It's so crazy. Look at this situation. This is in New York. So New York uh, City Police are actually looking for a Jamaican father, Dwayne Gordon, who allegedly drugged and raped three of his stepdaughter's friends when they stayed at his queen's home for sleepovers, according to senior police officer with knowledge of the investigation. Folks, you've heard me say it before. Do not allow your children to engage in sleepovers. Don't even think about it. Don't do it. So this man, you saw his photo there. New York City police are hunting for him. His name is Dwayne Gordon, 41-year-old dad, and he's accused of committing the criminal acts at his Springfield Gardens home in Queens between October of 2020 and earlier this month. Wow, how long was this going on for? So he was last seen on May the 21st. He attended a prominent high school in Kingston where he represented his school in track and field and football. And he worked for an international airline in New York, but he's not shown up for work for days now. One of the victims told police she was given a white pill that made her pass out and she was then raped. The victims were all 13-year-old children. The uh, accused apparently um, hails from Bull Bay, which borders St. Andrew and St. Thomas. So they're keeping an eye out just in case he tries to flee to Jamaica. Um, they put a trace on his mobile phone. And he made a call to a friend, they said a few days before, in the Miami area of South Florida. So they released photos of him on Friday. And the police are actively uh, looking for him. Wow. Wanted man. Can you believe it? Remember a couple of years ago, we reported um, a Cayman Islands uh, young man who was away for flight school, allegedly in, um, in the UK. And he was alleged to have uh, raped a child there as well. And I was so shocked that when we put that story up, I can't remember what his name now. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, people were like, um, oh, why are you posting about this young man? I was like, hello. The young man was, see, see here, Caymanian pedophile pilot, jailed in UK child rape case. This was Tevin McLeod. You guys remember this? A Caymanian Birmingham pilot. He was arrested in jail for raping a child in Birmingham. And when we put this, this story up, do you guys remember this? This was November of 2019. There were people who were going on and on about, oh, he was a track star and he went to church and he did this and he did that. Listen, if you've not gotten the memo yet, folks, it really doesn't matter what these people did with their lives in terms of accomplishments. So what? So what that he wanted to be a pilot? So what that he ran track? So what if he was in church and he was, a, um, what the heck was he? A, um, Explorers Club. He went to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He was a flight attendant school at Two Flight Aviation. None of that matters. 
predators come in all shapes and sizes, folks. This is where you all need to wake up, right? He lived right here in Cayman and northward, right up on Plumtree Road. And from when he was growing up, people were like, hmm, mm, something not right with him. But, you know, Caymanians were like, okay, just let him be. So this young man has been dubbed the pedophile pilot, and he was arrested back in 2019 uh, when he flew to the Manchester airport, and he was charged the following day with rape and sexual assault of a child under 13. So he initially denied the allegations until he was presented with messages he sent to the girl, not only acknowledging the abuse, but attempting to prevent her from reporting the sickening crimes, as the police referred to it. He was more concerned about tarnishing his reputation and warned her that the fact that he would lose his pilot license and go to jail. Wow. The instance occurred between 2015 and 2016. And he's gotten seven and a half years in prison. And he will be subject to a sexual harm prevention order. Folks, we need a sex offenders registry in the Cayman Islands. Because even someone like him, who will most likely return to the Cayman Islands, if you have been convicted in any jurisdiction and you come here, you should be on this registry. First of all, no other national should be able to come here with such a conviction. But I guess if he's Caymanian, we won't have a choice but to take him back. Right? So he should be put on the registry too. Because how many of you, this story was reported in 2019, how many of you even remember this case? And that was just a couple of years ago. You see my point? Our memories, we forget. And next thing you know, he comes back and wants to go back in the church and start working with young people. Get the sexual offenders registry together. It is a necessity. Yes, we want to prevent perpetrators. And one way to prevent them is for you to know what is happening right under your noses and to know who these people are. Don't let that allow you to put your guard down, however, because just because someone hasn't yet been convicted, they've never been arrested, whatever, that doesn't mean that they're not a pedophile. This is why prevention, you need to be weary of all people. So trust me, when I say, remember the guy last week, Gordon, what was his name again? That we reported on from the Civil Aviation Authority, the security guard there. Oh yes, here he is. Still have him in my view. Okay, Gordon McLaughlin. Isn't it astonishing that we do one story on this guy and then all of a sudden, all these victims come forward. Oh, well, it's about time. I'm like, what? What do you mean it's about time? Oh, Sandy, he's been stalking me forever. I was like, are you kidding me? Why have you people not been speaking up? This is what someone said. About time someone said something about him. My jaw dropped open. I'm like, oh my God, what? How long has he been getting away with this for? They replied, from when I was in middle school, he preyed on me. So who knows how long before that? Wow. 
Middle school. Mm-mm-mm. Can you even believe it? Right? It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Mm. The stories about him are prolific. I'm surprised he has never been charged before. But when you have parents saying that they would rather not have their children come forward and say anything, I'm like, do you understand what you're saying? If a child doesn't speak up, if the authorities don't get involved, people like Gordon will continue. They'll go after another victim. It's sad. But unfortunately, people are more concerned about how they're going to be perceived and the stress that they will be put under in a community when they decide to prosecute as opposed to trying to protect their children. The worst thing you can do, in my opinion, after a child has been victimized is number one, not get them the proper professional help that they need. And number two, to not allow them to get justice. And I've had victims constantly say that to me. What was more hurtful is after this happened to me, nobody stood up for me, not even my own parents. They were like, no, let's not go to the police. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. And that is unforgivable. Don't allow as parents yourselves to be in that position. So Judy wants to know, what is the case uh, preventing a formal registry? There isn't a viable one, except they claim that because we're so small that um, they're concerned about the perpetrators. And um, they're also concerned that maybe we can identify victims. But there are clearly ways in which to do that. As Mr. Famous just said, when you do a registry, you don't have to put any details that would lead or connect back to the victim. You just say, this person is a convicted molester or rapist or whatever. And they therefore meet the criteria for being on this registry. So it's an easy fix, Judy. To me, it seems like the political willpower isn't there because we are such a small community. And maybe some of these legislators and people in power know that one day their family members who have been molesting people for eons from one generation to the next might actually end up on the list. So there's not the political motivation to do the right thing. But the attorney general, we submitted our petition well over 10 years ago, and the attorney general has admitted that we need one, and that's as far as they went. Nothing was ever done. Nobody is protesting about that, Judy. Nobody's calling for that to be put in place. Um, comment here, not only that, people aren't speaking up. Some are, and yet everything is, um, and yet nothing is being done. So much being swept under the rug. Good morning, CE Banks. But, you know, I think that at the end of the day, um, once more people start to speak up, sweeping it under the rug will no longer be an option. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Natasha. Natasha says, I suspect that those who are against the list may find themselves on that very same list. We in this community know of the men who like to target underage girls or date barely legal young women. Yes. It's very problematic. Good folks. That's all the time that we have for today. Um, there was a tour of 
the um, facility there. Um, let me just see of the landfill facility that was this morning. Unfortunately, we couldn't go because it conflicted with the show. Uh, I was in court yesterday and I told you guys I was off to court. Um, ooh, honey child, look like I better hurry and get ready for court again today. Ooh, another delivery of sentence judgment. Lord have mercy. Court been hot, hot, hot these days. Um, unfortunately, the one from yesterday, we could not um, report on. So there was a judgment in place. It's not because the case isn't over. It was like an interim judgment. And sometimes, you know, they do not want to prejudice the, the um, defendants, especially when it's a jury trial. And so there are reporting restrictions uh, in place for the Canova Watson and Bruce Blake matter. So we listened to it, but unfortunately we can't report on it. Right? So um, I guess the, the, the next mention date for that has been set for June the 30th. So there are a couple things. Um, definitely this one is the delivery of a sentence. I want to be there for that one. Um, that's at 10 o'clock before Justice Richards. So I'm going to get ready here shortly. And uh, I just need to throw on proper pants and shoes and I'm ready to go. And the other thing, um, let me just see what else is going on here in the news. Um, there's a case about a child stealing case. I have to be very honest with you. I don't even know what that is. I said to someone yesterday, who steals a child? Most of y'all don't even want your own children. Sometimes you're like, oh, I can't take the stress. So I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm going to get some updates on that because I'm very curious to know what that was all about. Um, sounds crazy. But yes, we will certainly be in touch, folks. And um, I think that's all I got for you for right now. Hmm. Stay tuned for more. Miss Moya, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we did a petition already. And it was, I mean, we can revive the the petition, but it was delivered over 10 years ago and still nothing has been done. Thank you, Miss Irvlin. Thank you, Tommy. He says, as always, enjoyed your show, Sandy. Keep up the good work. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we will see you guys tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock working on a few things um, for you all. So please ensure that uh, you keep it locked right here to none other than the Cold Heart Truth and CMR. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings.